Our lesson today comes from the third chapter, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with that person. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send into the world the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. It seems that John wants us to know that Nicodemus is not just one more Pharisee who didn't understand Jesus. This is a unique encounter. Based on John's description and Jesus' words towards Nicodemus, he was a respected leader among the Pharisees and God's people. So I feel that we can safely assume that he was well-versed and, and faithful to Torah and the laws of Moses. Now, the relationship between the Pharisees and Jesus is often contentious. And that's why when we hear Nicodemus be so affirming to Jesus, it, it's striking, it, it's noticeable. This is not often the case. To call him rabbi means he sees him as an equal, as a peer. He says, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God even. What a great level of respect that is. He even says, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with that person. This sounds like a full-throated endorsement at this point. Clearly, though, Nicodemus is not just impressed with Jesus' skills. He, he clearly sees that God is working through Jesus. God is up to something through Jesus. 
And as a rabbi, if God was up to something and he was responsible to help others see it and to, to recognize this was the case, even so, regardless of how favorable he might have been towards Jesus, as much as respect as he offers him, let us not overstate the affinity. There is a conflict at hand. There are tensions even here. For you see, he comes in the dark of night where no one else can see he's there. He comes speaking for others as well who did not come with him. Hence the word we can see. God is with you. Maybe he drew the short straw. Maybe he was more courageous than those who chose not to come with him, or both. But regardless, the absence of those that he speaks of suggests that they were more than apprehensive about letting others know that they recognized God was working through Jesus. I also don't want to understate the gravity of the tension that I've mentioned between Jesus and the Pharisees. We're only in the third chapter of John's Gospel. And already, John has gone to lengths to show us how tense things are. Just prior to this, already in chapter 2, Jesus entered the temple with a whip and a cord nonetheless, turning over tables, calling the money changers to leave the temple, God's house, a place meant for prayer that has been defiled. And in full view of those like the Pharisees, where Nicodemus comes in the night, Jesus operates in the day for all to see. In the process of that event, he also tells them that the temple would be destroyed and raised up three days later. Perhaps they heard that as a threat, a direct threat, towards the holiest site in the world for God's people, the people of Israel. Now Jesus, of course, knew there were no plans to destroy the temple. He's talking about his own death. He was talking about his own resurrection Himself as the temple, the one that is being destroyed, not the building. So as it was, Nicodemus finds himself standing somewhere in that proverbial middle, you might say. He's standing between recognizing that Jesus is empowered by God, but also recognizing that Jesus is causing problems. And I can imagine for Nicodemus a lot of personal conflicts that he must have felt. For Nicodemus, as much as anyone in the world, he longed for the coming of the Messiah. He longed for Jesus' claims to be true. Hearing Jesus teach, seeing the signs and the things that Jesus was accomplishing must have raised his hope. The, the very possibility that everything he had taught others, everything the world had been waiting for was standing right there in front of him in the person of Christ. That must have been an exhilarating possibility for him. Even so, it was only a possibility for him at this point. And he knew he better get it right. There had been many claiming to be the Messiah, and he needed to be sure that Jesus was not yet just another false Messiah. He also knew sooner or later he was going to have to, one way or another, make a choice. He was either going to see Jesus as the Messiah or not. Either Jesus was that or he was a blasphemer. And how one was to be, to be treated compared to the other was markedly different. There is no middle ground. 
in this story. If he was the Messiah, he deserved Nicodemus' full acceptance, a full-throated endorsement. If he was not the Messiah, he deserved what a blasphemer deserved. I also think that Jesus understood the cost for someone like him to choose to follow. Jesus spoke of carrying the cross and and dying to self too much to, to miss this point. And in some ways, I suppose, compared to others, maybe it was harder for those like Nicodemus to come to terms with Jesus' lordship. He had a lot to lose. When Jesus called those who were sinners and those who had been considered outcasts, they had already lost everything. They had everything to gain because so much of the world was against them already, including those like the Pharisees. Nicodemus, however, well, he's much more like the rich young man who came to Jesus asking, what more must I do? Jesus says, you must give everything you have away to follow me. And that's why I suppose Jesus frames this conversation and his attempts to answer Nicodemus' questions with a seemingly impossible scenario. He talks about rebirth, being born from heaven. Now, as we hear Nicodemus respond to that scientifically and and with reason, that makes no sense at all. It's not possible for that to happen. Logically and literally, Jesus, of course, was not talking about a literal rebirth. He was talking about a spiritual rebirth. And that Nicodemus seems to take this so literally always seems odd to me and out of place. He asked, how can anyone be born after having grown old? How can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Surely Nicodemus was wiser and more intelligent than this. I have to think he was. I have to think he did understand Jesus was using a metaphor, and he was a teacher. He knew well how powerful metaphors and parables could be. And it makes me wonder if he was not also metaphorically expressing just how hard it would be for him to accept what Jesus was asking him to accept. To see a new understanding, a new thing that God was doing. I've gone my whole life seeking to understand God in the Scriptures, he must have thought to himself. He must have been thinking, how in the world can I change so much about what I know about God and faith? How can I do that? It is true that Nicodemus gave his whole life to this endeavor. He earned great respect in the community about the ways and the way he taught of God in Torah. His leadership and his knowledge had earned him status and standing, and others sought him for wisdom. And to become a student now, To change that now, to see something this new happening was hard. But Jesus won't let him off the hook. He continues to challenge by acknowledging that, yes, you're a teacher. You should know that what I'm telling you is true. Of all people, you should know. He reminds him then that Moses was lifted up by God, and and now he is being lifted up by God. But in order to bring hope and redemption to the world and for all God's people, John wants us to know that in Christ the light has come and that those who are in darkness like Nicodemus are being asked to come to the light, come to this new revelation, this new truth. That This is the major point in John's gospel. 
And Nicodemus is just one more example of what this looks like. So we might ask, in the end, what does Nicodemus do? Well, we never fully learn. We know that he will tend to Jesus' body after the cross. We know that he will make sure that Jesus gets an honorable burial, as any rabbi would. But we learn nothing more of him. I suppose, though, it does us little good to ponder too long if Nicodemus himself ever chose Jesus fully. Pointing a judging finger at him once, once in a while is, serves no real purpose for us. It gets us nowhere. He may have. He may not have. But what was true for Nicodemus is true for all of us. We must all mature. We must all be reborn from time to time if we're to follow Christ. Jesus wanted him to understand this, and he wanted him to trust Jesus and to trust that he was exactly the one he'd been waiting for. And then he wanted him to give himself fully to Jesus and to celebrate this very, that this very thing he longed for was standing right there in front of him. So Lent... It is your time and it's my time to ask what keeps me, what keeps us from trusting and following Jesus more fully? What does it look like for you? What does it look like for me to mature, to grow in faith, or to, to be reborn? For Nicodemus, it seems it was being humbler in spirit, recognizing that for as much as he knew as much wisdom as he had gained, that there was more for him to understand. And he was going to have to trust, not fully understanding. Nicodemus was not the only one slow to accept this call. I think of Moses. For opposite reasons, he was also slow to follow God. Moses felt small, the one lifted up. He felt ill-equipped to go where God had sent him. And so much so that he argued with God in this rather funny back and forth about how, God, well, you should probably call somebody else. Pardon your servant, Lord, he said. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor have since you have talked to your servant. I'm slow of speech and, and tongue, and, but God kept pulling him. God kept calling him. God kept reassuring, I will give you the words you need to speak. I will teach you what to say when that time comes. Just trust me, Moses. And my point in sharing Moses' story and Nicodemus, we all need to be pulled along. We all need God's wooing us and calling us and pulling us to new things. Sometimes we're like Nicodemus, perhaps, forgetting that we have more to learn. Sometimes we're like Moses, unable to see that God can use us despite our weaknesses. However, what is possible with us, impossible with us, is always possible with God. We just need humility, or we need the courage, or both, to believe that this is so. So I've tried to think of ways that you and I might hear this story today. Few of us are as wise or as knowledgeable as Nicodemus, I suppose. Maybe for you, it's you feel like you gave God your life a long time ago. 
It could have been that you feel like that you have learned and, and studied Scripture for so long, there's not much more to learn. And wisdom and the knowledge we gain over time, it's a gift. It's why we read our Scriptures every day. Or maybe you've grown up in your church your whole life. Maybe you've never known a day in your life where you did not have someone reminding you that God loves you. It is a blessing to grow up in a community of faith in such a way that you never know what it's like not to have that assurance. Or maybe you've never given your life to God. Or maybe you changed your mind sometime along along the way. Maybe you're here today and you have questions about what it really means to be a Christian. Well, what an exciting venture you might choose to begin or renew today. That's part of my faith story. But let me assure us all, regardless of who you are or how brief or how long you have followed Jesus, your transformation is not over. We all must continue to grow in faith. Every one of us, in one way or another, needs to be reborn along the way. We will need to revisit or understand anew what it is to be in relationship with God and with Jesus and with one another and what it is to love neighbor. The world will put in front of us challenges that we thought we'd never and we never dreamed to face. And there will be times that the only assurance we have is God has got this. I just got to work hard and see how that's so. Yet, and at the point of Jesus' words to Nicodemus, our part is to make room for the Holy Spirit. Our part is to have a willingness for God to lead us and the Holy Spirit to guide us in all things. And that can be an unsettling thing. In the 1800s, some people decided to build a bridge across Niagara Falls. Engineers and were consulted, money was raised, every possible idea was thrown out there. They could not get a cable across to even begin the bridge. Everyone was nearing the agreement that this was a lost cause, it was not going to happen, impossible task. They could not float it across the rapids, they couldn't shoot it far enough with a bow and arrow, and they could not climb the steep cliffs on both sides to lift it up. And finally, a 10-year-old boy in the meeting made a very illogical and unrealistic suggestion. Fly the cable across on a kite, he said. And he said with all the confidence in the world and all the learned people said, how absurd is that? That'll never happen. But because I'm telling you this story, you probably already figured out that that is indeed how they got that bridge built across the Niagara Falls. A rope tied to a cable flown across on a kite so it could be pulled across. Jesus said the wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it but you don't know where it comes from and you don't know where that wind's going to go. So it is with everyone who allows the Spirit to work within them and who's born of the Spirit. There are a lot of complexities to this passage and story and there are a few hard to follow metaphors and parables here and as you read this, you might think that we could be missing something we're not seeing. Maybe there's a hidden truth here. 
I don't think Jesus means to hide anything from us, and I don't think Jesus wants to trip us up or make us overcomplicated. Simply put, in this season of Lent, we lean into the basics of our faith. We make room for the Holy Spirit by praying together, by worshiping together, studying Scriptures together, breaking bread together today, serving those in need together here in the world through missions. And we do all of this with the understanding that these are the ways for which we grow. These are the ways for which we mature. So let us also know that this is not just for our own personal salvation. It's not only for our personal edification and growth. It's meant to teach us what it is to usher in the light of God. To make the kingdom known among us in many, many ways and through God's people. And for that... Come Holy Spirit, pour yourselves into our souls, pour yourselves into our lives. And as we come to this table today, as we break bread together, let's listen to Jesus' words as if hearing them for the first time and remembering that God's love is shown by how we serve one another. And again, come Holy Spirit, thanks be to God. I invite you to turn your head.